Hi, this is Mary Seiss, the author of The Energy of Belief, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. Joining me today is Mary Seiss. Mary's a licensed clinical social worker who for over three decades has been on the forefront of methods that go beyond talk therapy to calm down the survival system. She's worked with Roger Callahan, the originator of thought field therapy. Mary co-authored the book, The Energy of Belief, Psychology's Power Tools to Focus Intention and Release Blocking Beliefs. She's based in Albany, New York, and is here to talk about that book, The Energy of Belief. Welcome, Mary. Thanks, Phil. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? You know, Bill, I'd have to say my mother. You know, I grew up in the 50s. The men had come home from the war and the women were having babies. And I'm the second oldest of 12 kids, if you can just imagine that, in the 50s in New Jersey, the Rutherford area of New Jersey. Yeah. And there were a zillion kids on our block. And my mother had this amazing amount of faith. I don't think I've ever come across anyone that had the, the, in my childhood, especially that had this much faith that things would work out. And she had faith in me. She really had faith that I could do anything that I, she would listen to me, even with all those kids, she just did. And, and she really empowered me to be the best that I could be. Do you have an example of what a time when you were maybe thinking about doing something in a particular direction and her faith in you helped motivate or inspire you to take some extra steps? Well, I would I would think around the time when I was going to college, you know, I, I went to college in the early 70s, very early 70s. And a lot of times women weren't going to college, you know, they were, you know, getting married or it was just just changing at the time. But she believed in me and we had all these kids and how it was ever going to happen. I, do, I didn't even know. But she really encouraged me like that was going to be it. And so it just had me step to the next level, step to the next level. And even though she was very, very traditional, like she was very traditional in the woman's role, it, I always felt like she didn't hold that for me. Like she really thought I could do whatever I put my mind to do. Give me an example of that, something that she wouldn't do herself, but she encouraged you to do because she believed that you had more opportunities, more talent, more abilities. Well, I can remember being a little kid and growing up like with the men really ran the place, you know, the men in the household ran everything. And she really never, I would say, you'd never hear her really stand up to my father. You know, he was you know, one of those guys that came back from the war and he, he ran, Hey, what he said, go, but she could navigate. She was such a navigator. And I watched that and I thought, I'm never going to be like that. You know, I'm going to make, make my own money. I'm going to do my own thing. And I, and so I think subliminally, she just really kept pushing me in that direction, but without really saying that she knew as many of the women in her, you know, that time, remember we're in the fifties here. And she knew that was the way to do what you, what you came to do. 
So it was an interesting, I admired her greatly, her love, her compassion, but I was not going to be that in that role with, you know, and not seeing the world and, and getting out there. So seeing the world and getting out there was important to you. And you've helped many, many people by working with them to understand things that are invisible or belief system. How do you explain a belief system to people? And what are some of the characteristics of the beliefs that people have when they seek you out for help? So for me, the best way I, I explain it is by using a metaphor. And the metaphor would be an iceberg. Okay. So that we, the top of the iceberg is really what we're, we're very conscious of. And some of us are, are conscious of some things, but most of our beliefs, Bill, are more in the subconscious mind. They're below consciousness. And what they, the scientists have shown is that because the brain is in a, the brain waves of a child are in a theta state, which hypnotherapists all know about a theta state. It's a, it's a very slow moving state. And most of your beliefs about whether you're valuable, how the world works, whether somebody wants to listen to you are formed under the age of seven. And that's what's mostly in the subconscious. There's other times you can get beliefs, but theta is primarily a state you're in under the age of seven. So when people say to you, like, well, why, why I shouldn't believe that. I don't believe that anymore. There's usually a part of you that still does believe it. And that's where I learned that I had to learn some new ways to get in there and hack it and to shift things that are in the subconscious mind. So if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is, is that based upon our normal everyday operating, Mm-hmm. We have brain waves that operate at a faster rate. Mm-hmm. And then many of the beliefs that we have were laid into our brain, imprinted upon us when we were much younger. And the brain waves at that age were traveling at a different frequency. And in order to make changes to them, we need to be able to access them in a different way than other than just normal consciousness, other than just normal conversations. Conversations might be fine for detailing a different course of action or developing you know, a, a strategic plan, but in order to make changes for individuals, because each one of us comes with a different background, a different history, a different set of messages imprinted, that's when we need to use different techniques in order to access that level of deeper imprinting. Is that accurate? That's totally accurate. When a child is born, the brain waves are very slow. They're in delta, which is why babies sleep all the time. Then under the age of seven, they move either primarily, not all the time, in this theta state. And that's why children have imaginary friends. Santa Claus is real. They're, they're like, they're, they, you can tell a child something and they believe you. You know, they just believe it, you know? And then they get to be <laughs> over seven. The, if you're Catholic, that's when they'd call it the age of reason. And you can make your first communion and go to confession and tell your sins. And you know the difference. You move out of this black and white thing. And you, have, you can see more gray. And you move more up to alpha, beta, which is a faster one. And anybody who's got a teenager, they're always in alpha, beta, right? They're not in theta. It's really hard to program a teenager. But it's not hard to program a child. A lot of the things that we talk about in programming, when we're talking about laying in some of these early belief systems, they're kind of created indirectly many times. It's the environment. It's what's done repetitively. It's not so much what 
people around us say, but how they respond, how they respond to what children say. Exactly. Like, like when I gave the example of my mother, she listened to me. So I have this belief, and I, I mean, I really do, that people listen to me, will listen to me. And people do listen to me. You know, I just, it's, it's uncanny. And I'm kind of surprised when somebody doesn't want to listen to me, like there's something wrong, you know, and it's really weird. Some people, and, and I've seen this with, with people that I've counseled, you know, they don't think anybody wants to hear what they have to say, even though they're saying some amazing stuff. And I'm, I'm sure your listeners will have, have, you know, people who are like cautious to say something and, or your guy in sales, maybe, who has no problem sell, you know, saying whatever they need to say. Well, he has this belief that people want to hear what he has to say. Sure. And that's important for people who are doing outreach and for people who are negotiating verbally with others to have that belief. Now, sometimes that responsibility falls to people who don't have that belief or actually have a, a belief that blocks them from being successful in that area, even though it might be their area of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Can you relate to any of the people you've worked with who've had that experience where they have responsibility in one area, but they have a belief that directly countermands the activities that would make them successful? Oh, absolutely. I remember there was this guy, John, and he was in, uh, his job was he was a, he had to go in sales and sell, sell pharmaceuticals. He had a big region he had, and, and he, it was such a struggle for him to do this. And when he came to me, he was almost about to lose his job. He, he, he didn't know what to do. He knew his product. He would rehearse what he had to say, but he would, he would go into these offices. He did really well with women, surprisingly. So it's not like he didn't know and study or know the material. But whenever he had to go into a male doctor's office, he just, he tripped over his words. He couldn't like, he, he couldn't figure out like everything that he knew that was in his, the, the smarts part of your brain, which is your neocortex and your cortex, your higher cortical brain. He couldn't access it. And when, when he came to me and we worked with him, it turned out that as a child, his father was just brutal to him. And, you know, who do you think you are? Nobody, wa nobody wants to hear what you have to say. And so what would happen if he would get to certain male doctors, he just couldn't, he couldn't find his words. And so what we had to do then was we would use these techniques that are in the book, The Energy of Belief. Tapping is, is uh, met with him, and we, we connected it to this situation with his dad. And he had a memory. It was vivid to him of him being there and just, you know, being slapped across his face and told to shut up. And what we did was we used one of their, there's several techniques in the book, The Energy of Belief. We used one of them called touch and breathe, which is where you touch on meridian points and you use breath and some eye movements with it. So what we did was he came in to see me and we looked at where this was stuck in his brain. And we went back and we found this memory where his dad was slapping him across the face and telling him to shut up and, and, you know, nobody, nobody wants to hear what you have to say. And who do you think you are? You know, those kind of conversations. And what I chose is a method called touch and breathe, where we had him touch on meridian points on his own face, on his own body. Plus, we moved his eyes. Now, the eyes are the part of the brain on the outside 
And that managed to break up the memory and release the terror that was stored there. So wait a second, what you're saying is that based upon memories that have emotions closely associated with them that are kind of frozen in that emotional experience, that you can unlock them by having someone remember an experience and then look in a different direction according to a pattern that helps them erase or scribble over that memory so it doesn't have that same hold over them. Is that right? That's exactly it. It loses the charge. It loses the charge, the terror, the humiliation, whatever was stored in that charge. And what happens, Bill, is shocking. But the memory moves. It's almost like they almost they know it happened, but they can now remember it versus relive it when someone triggers them. I've seen that happen too, Mary. And what happens is that people can then have experiences that are similar. And rather than the memory coming back and imposing itself, kind of like you're having a conversation with someone and somebody turns up the sound system and this old tape begins to play, that you can have these conversations, maybe like John was having conversations with male doctors. And instead of that old tape being played loud, so loudly that he couldn't remember his pitch or his product, he's able to have the conversation and not have that automatically triggered so it interrupts him and diminishes his capability. Yes, because the minute you get triggered to something like that, you're going to go into fight, flight, or freeze. So John, what he did, he went into freeze. He would just freeze. Okay. And he couldn't remember his words. Now, we can also contrast that. Before we leave this example, Mary, tell me what happened after the work. Was he able to have those conversations? Yes. So he now could go in and have these conversations and realize he, in present time, he's with the doctor. He's not with his dad anymore. He's safe and it's done. Here's the great thing about it. When you do this work, it's done forever. And that memory no longer hijacks his brain. That makes a lot of sense. That's the gift of it. Like you don't have to spend a million years trying to figure out why you can't talk to this doctor or why this particular coworker of yours is pushing your buttons. Once you get it, once you go in there and you figure that out and you, and you use these new methods that are out now, it's done. You get your life back. Is that also responsible for how people will do self-sabotaging behaviors? They intend to set out and do their priorities at the beginning of the day, and they'll procrastinate, or they'll speak badly about a coworker to someone who is a superior, or they'll just make verbal flubs when they know in the aftermath that wasn't what they really wanted to do. Exactly, exactly. What happens is the brain, do they get in these situations that remind like, and these old tapes come up, we could call them, you know, who do you think you are? You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed, don't shine. And so they sabotage their behavior. So they kind of screw up or they do something that puts them in a bad light. Mary, can you tell me an example of someone who had one of these self-sabotaging behaviors, some business leader that you worked with and was able to make some progress? Let me tell you about my client, Clara, who has a huge cosmetic business in our area and has 40, 50 young kids under, well, I shouldn't call them young kids. She has 40 or 50, 20-year-olds underneath her. And she often has in, so there's this woman that I met with 
Clara, who ran a salon in the area, and it was a woman-run salon. She had 50 young girls underneath her, a couple of partners. And it was during the time when women run businesses, you know, they were making a big deal about it. She won the award for the top woman run business in the area. And she had to give a speech. And she was terrified to do this speech. She was having panic attacks over the speech. She couldn't imagine herself being up there. And yet there is so many other areas where she was the boss of, of like, for example, the trainees, and she knew what she was, was training and it was her business. She was very confident. She wouldn't really have suspected this was going to be a problem at all for her. But here she had to stand in front of all these other very successful women in our community and give a speech. It just made no sense to her. She couldn't figure out what was going on. So she came to see me this was a big opportunity for her. She didn't want to blow it, but she just didn't, she couldn't get herself to do it without having a panic attack. So she came to see me and we looked at it and we, I had her imagine and think about what's the, the thought of even doing the speech. And she would begin to get panicked. You have to be in the body. So I had her feel where it was held in the body and in her stomach, the energy in her stomach was tensing up. Then it was moving up to her chest. And what we do is we trace the energy back and it went right to good old junior high where she was there with other kids. And like, let's face it, nobody does junior high very well, but these girls were laughing at her and making fun of her and humiliating her mercilessly in junior high. That's when we, at this point, we did the thought field therapy technique where we had her tap on the meridian points and use the eye movements and the energy it disconnected. I don't know what happened. The memory faded. It was able to be processed, went into long-term memory rather than right on a desktop of her computer. And she was able to go right up there and do that, that speech. Like she couldn't believe it, what happened to her. And again, the brain just hijacks you. You go into fight, flight, or freeze. And she, for her, she was flighting. She would just wanted to run out of the room at the thought of it. And she was just, she was able to do it. She won the award. She accepted the reward. She gave the talk. Everybody thought she was wonderful. And it's not a problem again. She can still, she can now get up and talk anywhere. Mary, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Oh, sure. (laughs) All right. So earlier I asked you about, at the beginning of the interview, I asked you about someone who was influential growing up and you mentioned your mother. What was a song in your teenage years that was influential or inspiring to you? You know, I think the song would be Bridge Over Troubled Waters because I really had this idea that that's what I was. Like I was there to serve others like a bridge. What would you say is the best $100 purchase you've made in the last six months? For me, what really helped is I went to the store and bought five different notebooks for all five of the different aspects of my life. Like I've got one notebook. It's just got all the notes on some of the publicity and the, and the PR work for that I'm doing for tapping. I have another notebook that's just about family things. And this is all the things I have to remember about that. I have another notebook that's about another program that I'm running for healers and everything goes in that. And then I'm taking this class on sales. So with that book, that notebook's got everything on that. And I made them really nice looking notebooks. So I'm, I'm enjoying using them. And it's really helped me declutter my brain. Mary, what would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped 
in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? No, I'm recognizing that things are not always happening on my timing and I'm allowing myself to just show up, go with the flow and it'll happen in the right timing. Now, a lot of times people have misunderstandings about beliefs and how they operate in our lives, and especially the busy managers and small business leaders listening to the show. What would you say is one of the most common misconceptions about beliefs that you could help clear up for us now? One of the most common misconceptions about beliefs is that you can talk your way out of them, that if you just try hard enough, you can blow through them. In my experience, you have to get the energy out of them. The shame, the unworthiness, the terror, that's, and then they, they just shift naturally. Just say the sentence, you have to get the emotional energy out of those memories. In my experience, Bill, you have to get the emotional energy out of the belief before it, it just, it leaves you and you can reprogram and put something healthier in there. As we're in the pandemic, Mary, what would you say are some of the beliefs that people have been unconsciously accepting into their lives? And what would you encourage listeners to do in order to build a vision of a more empowered present or a more prosperous future? What I'm seeing in the pandemic, and I'm seeing it all over, if your life was unpredictable as a kid, all this unpredictability is freaking you out. If you didn't have money as a kid, that's freaking you out. If you, it, everybody's getting triggered to what happened to them as a kid. And if you can use these emotional freedom techniques, if you can go there and, and get the emotion out of what happened as a kid, you can bring yourself fully here. Then you're more likely to be creative and to create new opportunities for your business, for your life for whatever you're doing. Let me tell you about my client, Lewis, who when he was a young kid, his father was probably bipolar, but not diagnosed. So his mood was up and down. He was so unpredictable. One day he'd come in and he'd be happy. Another day he's like yelling at everybody. And the pandemic was because of the unpredictability. Lewis would go into work. He worked in a a hospital setting and he would go into work and he would be in a panic. He couldn't, he couldn't predict what was, he just couldn't function. We use these techniques with him and he made the connection to what it was like as a kid and the unpredictability and it was not safe. And he was able to turn it around so that unpredictability no longer triggered him to a panic state. And he was able to function at work. He actually got a raise. He got a, a promotion and it didn't flip him out. He, he was able to handle more and he had more creativity at work because he wasn't in this fight or flight mode all the time. Mary, have you ever found limitations to using these techniques where people can do a lot of things as a self-help method or maybe working with a counselor or a therapist or healer? Yet there are other things that probably need more heavy lifting tools. What's been your experience in that area? In my experience, if there has been damage to your body, like you were beat really bad or there was an attack or something like that, I always tell people, use this with someone who's trained. And there you can go to the asepenergypsych.org website where you can find professionals all over the world that are trained to do this. And so you really want to use a a professional with that. The rest of this, 
that's I can tell you, Bill, that's why we wrote the book, The Energy of Belief. You can do this. This is you can do it with a trusted friend. You can do it by yourself. But what you have to do is each and every time you find yourself triggered and upset and not acting like an adult, okay, or not thinking like an adult or speaking like an adult and saying things you wish you didn't say, that's when you want to use it. Yeah, that's often the case when I speak to small business leaders and we talk about bringing your best self to work every day consistently. It's being free of a lot of these triggers that lead to unproductive memories and the dilution, distortion and distraction from being your best self in every interaction throughout the day. The other thing I'd like you really to know is that it happens in a millisecond that you get triggered. You can't not get triggered. Okay, so don't beat up on yourself because you're triggered. Just shift it, hack your brain, calm your, your system down. You'll be able to bring your best self forward. Well, Mary, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best today. We started off talking about how your mother was so amazing in the faith that she brought to you and in you that things would work out in the world and that you were capable of doing so much. We talked about the iceberg model of beliefs. We're only aware of the top portion of the iceberg and so much of it is beneath the surface. It's tied up beyond just talking about it. We've actually got to go in and heal and release the energy, the emotional energy that's tied up in those memories that are affecting us still today. We talked about John who was about to lose his job and he knew how to make the sales, but he couldn't do it with male physicians until after he did the work. And then afterward, he was able to have conversations and be as effective there as he was with his other customers and prospects. We talked about the importance of a fight, flight, or freeze response in being able to recognize where you're being tripped up by some of these past memories and unhealed events. We talked about Clara, who had a panic attack when she was winning an award of all things, and she wanted to make a good impression and share what it meant to her. And luckily, she was able to work with you to release these past experiences that were limiting her before she got to the stage. During the pandemic, anyone who had any incidents relating to unpredictability is probably feeling freaked out now as an adult, even though we have so many more capabilities and skills and connections as adults than we did back as a child. In order to get through that, it's hard just to talk about it and get through it. It's hard to sidestep that response that we get. But by using some of these techniques that are in your book and working with people, it is possible. You've seen it. You've helped people with it. And you know the efficacy of these methods. Mary Seiss, author of The Energy of Belief, I want to thank you again so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much for having me here. Mary, before we say goodbye for now, where is it that people can find out more about you and your work online? Sure, Bill. They can go to my website, marysice.com. Mary, thank you so much. I also want to mention you've got this resource on Amazon called Tapping the Panic Out of the Pandemic, which if you're at all feeling unsure, overwhelmed, or in any way anxious about what's going on, it could be a very helpful resource for you. So check that out on Amazon. Mary Sice, once again, thank you for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you very, very much. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. 
You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.